One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Frey Podcast, brought to you by thefrey.com, a place for women who want more from life. Today's podcast episode is a conversation with psychotherapist and author Jessica Baum. Jessica has recently released a book titled Anxiously Attached, and our conversation today is completely focused on understanding, like really unpacking what is anxious attachment and how can you work towards secure attachment. There were certainly some light bulb moments for me during our conversation. Before we get into it though, I did want to let you know the audio quality during our conversation is not as good as it normally is. This episode was recorded a little while ago when we were experiencing technical difficulties and I've sat on this episode unsure whether or not we'd have a chance to re-record. But when Jordan and I listened back to the episode, we both felt that there was some really helpful information and food for thought on the topic of anxious attachment and that it's worth sharing this episode even though the quality isn't as clear as Jordan and I would like it to be. It's still a helpful episode. So hopefully you can look past that technical difficulty that we were having and really enjoy what Jessica has to share and her message. So let's get into this episode on anxious attachment. Jessica, thank you so much for taking time at the end of a long day to have this conversation with me. I've been really looking forward to meeting you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation too. It's a big one and it's (laughs) such a big topic that you've literally written a book on the topic of anxious attachment and I'm so excited to get my hot little hands on a copy of your book. Before, I guess, we start talking about ways that we can work on our own anxious attachment or perhaps identify it, I guess we should start with the very simple question, not a simple question, but the starter question of what is anxious attachment? Yeah, that is, it's a big question, but, um, you know, attachment theory is really about studying the ways in which you adapted and connected with your primary caregiver. So, you know, there's different types of attachment styles. Traditionally, we talk about four and anxious attachment is one of them. And the way that shows up is when you're in early developmental years, there's an inconsistency in, um, in your caregiving. And so through co-regulation, which is like your one energetic unit with your mother or whoever is taking care of you or both your parents, but there's like not enough reassurance there. There's a, like a level of distrust and it kind of lays down a foundational blueprint in your nervous system. So you grow up and you tend to have more codependency. You tend to have more codependent traits. What I mean by that is you're, you become more focused on the external world or your partner. You tend to have a lot of anxiety when you're in disconnection. Um, you tend to self-abandon. So um, all of these are ways in which when you were young, 
you didn't develop the inner security to know that when mom or dad left that you were okay. So then later in life, when you're in an adult relationship, you actually reattach to your, your romantic partner and the strategies in your nervous system and even the way you adapted show up in your love life. So people are always confused later on they're in their love life and they're having these behaviors like texting a lot or having extreme painful sensations if their partner shuts down or you know, it doesn't respond in a certain way. And it's really deeply rooted in how you attach because um, we're biologically wired to stay in connection. So when we're in disconnection, it can cause a lot of pain. And if there was some disconnection when you were earlier on, that's going to come up in the presence of your current romantic relationship. So I kind of, I talk a lot about how that is an adaptation and working with your adaptation to move towards earned security, to feel more secure within but, um, you know, anxious people tend to attract avoidant people. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that. So it's just a pattern um, of two people's nervous systems and how they learn to adapt to survive that indirectly kind of trigger the other person or awaken the other person's pain. So we often find ourselves in these kind of pairings. And if you're anxious at all and someone shuts down on you or ghosts you or doesn't respond, it hurts. And it might even hurt even more and play into your self-esteem and some codependent traits really come out. And really at the root of codependency and and love addiction, and I talk about both of those, is an attachment, just like an attachment strategy. Yeah. So if someone is hearing about attachment theory for the first time today and they kind of don't know where they sit where they sit sort of, you know, what category they're in, I guess just hearing that, you know, that physical pain or that panic or that anxiety just from simply not hearing from someone enough, that can be an indicator that perhaps you do sit more towards the anxious attachment side of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, and I talk about this, like when you're born, you store sensation. So sensation is actually the first memory because you don't have a hippocampus yet. So sensation is how we store things. And so when we're in connection in our adult years and our partner doesn't respond in a certain way, it's actually sensation that can come up and it can be unbearable and really, really painful and very confusing because you don't really know what's going on inside your body. Um, So yeah, the sensations give it away and I think, you know, there are, you know, you, you are hypervigilant to the other person and you're seeking connection a lot and you need a lot of connection and reassurance and you have usually a deep rooted fear of abandonment and that's usually very deep. And so sometimes you're conscious of that and sometimes you aren't conscious of that. So a lot of the behaviors are to try to prevent yourself from feeling that pain again. I think that's such a helpful way to frame it, that sensation, because for some people, you can be in the exact same situation where someone hasn't texted you back in an hour. And for one person, that sensation is like, oh, it's unbearable. And for someone else that's just ambivalent towards that, it's like, oh, it'll be fine. So I think Mm -hmm. that's a really helpful way to frame it of like, how do you actually feel in your body when certain things are happening? Yeah. And I think you can go into fight flight mode. So sometimes anxious people, sometimes they're scared of conflict and often other times they go into fight mode because their energy expands. And if you think about it, when a baby doesn't get their needs met, the natural response is to expand your energy and cry a little louder and cry a little louder and cry a little louder. Yeah. And so those are normal ways to get someone's attention. And what happens is we're adults And we try that again and we try that again um, until we're kind of exhausted. So the same patterns, they're exactly the same. They just look a little bit different when when we're adults. It's really important to be compassion 
compassionate with yourself. If you find yourself, you know, stuck in a texting, you can't stop, or you need to get back into connection with the person you love. It's because it's painful to be in disconnection. And that's actually normal, a normal human thing. We want to stay in connection. Um, so learning to trust that when there is disconnection there with your partner, that you trust your partner enough to come back into connection. And there's that trust there is really important in your adult relationships. And if someone is involved with someone, like say your partner, or perhaps you're just dating someone, it's a new relationship and you're starting to notice things like, okay, they're texting a lot. They're expecting a lot from me. Is that kind of the first giveaway that perhaps they have an an anxious attachment style? Are there other things that can give you that information? No, not really. Actually, you can get texting a lot from someone who has an avoidant attachment style. The attachment systems don't actually play out until you get a little bit closer to intimacy. So when, once, you know, you can have a relationship that starts out wonderful and everybody's corresponding really great, but then once the fear of intimacy and we get closer or the fear of abandonment, all the core wounds start to show up later in the relationship. That's when the dynamic, the nervous systems start to show the patterns and the behaviors start to show in a protective way. So it's really hard sometimes to, to know in the beginning. In fact, if someone's bombarding you with, with a lot of texts, it could be love bombing, but it doesn't mean they're going to stay consistent. It could be that they're idealizing you and some of that it's not malicious at all. I mean, I can go into that, but Sometimes it is, but um, sometimes it just feels so good in the beginning. So that's normal. But as the relationship progresses, you know, life pulls us in a lot of different directions. And if you have anxious attachment and your partner gets pulled away from you, it's going to kick up your abandonment wounds. Um, So it can be very confusing. You can feel like you're actually being betrayed at that moment because this person was so interested in you and now they just kind of fell off the map. So it's hard to tell in the beginning. I think intimacy and vulnerability happen slowly in a progression. Um, and anxious people can tend to be overshare and, and over sometimes even over trust in the beginning. And it's making sure that the partner that you're dating is also sharing about what's going on inside of them, not just listening to you share and open up. You want to be opening up at the same rate and, and making sure there's a level of vulnerability on both sides. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I feel like with so much awareness just in the zeitgeist of, oh, anxious attachment, avoidant, um, you know, ambivalent or secure, it can be really tempting to want to classify someone early on. So that's really helpful, I guess, to reframe it and understand, no, no, it's much more likely that once you're in a true intimate situation where you've really bonded, that's when you're probably going to get most activated because you're most vulnerable. Yeah. And that's where all the, the fears pop up on either side. So for the anxious person, it's, it's, I'm going to get abandoned. I need to keep this person close. And for the avoidant person as a conscious fear of like, I don't want to be vulnerable, but it's really abandonment under that too. But so they'll push the partner away. They'll do what we call distancing strategies, which only amplifies the anxious person to feel like they're going to be abandoned. So it's like a, a, like a cycle you can get stuck in. Yeah, I've heard it explained in the past um, where it's like an anxious person is going to continue taking steps towards someone and the avoidant is continually taking steps back. And it's that tension of like, oh, we're magnetized and we're, you know, we want to be together, but one person has just this urge to move away while the other person's like trying to get closer and closer. 
Mm-hmm. And you're really looking at nervous systems. They're both being activated. So when we're in a calm, what we call ventral state, we're making on contact and there's safety and there's connection. But as soon as fear comes up, we go to fight, flight, freeze, fawn. But an anxious person will move closer because their nervous system is activated and an avoidant person's system is activated too but they're fleeing. So they're both in states of survival in that moment, but it's very hard because it's very painful on both sides of the, of the coin. Um, An avoidant person is sometimes not conscious of why they're avoiding intimacy or what's coming up for them. And the anxious person can come off sometimes as controlling or quote unquote needy, but the truth is they just want connection. So sometimes it's about working through your abandonment wound and you know, learning about showing up in a calmer place, but sometimes it's also about finding a partner who can give you a lot of reassurance and knowing what you can tolerate, what you can't tolerate. And I talk about it in my book, even if you're with someone who has some avoidant um, tendencies, because people do, people shut down, people forget to call back. You still want to work on what's coming up for you in that moment and not make it all about the other person, but start to heal the underlying um, abandonment wound that, that is inside of you. Do we all have an abandonment wound? No, actually secure people don't really have an abandonment wound. And and again, this is all on a spectrum. They feel relatively safe. They're not preoccupied. Their amygdala isn't hyper aware of abandonment. And so they're less likely. I mean, could you push anyone? If you, yeah, I mean, if if someone's dating an avoidant person and they're really pushing you away, that could come up for you, but it's not going to come up as much as it would for someone who's already primed for abandonment in their brain. That makes sense. And with our attachment styles, do different people trigger a different response in us? Or is it like we've got this one attachment style? And of course, I, I would love to get into working towards secure attachment with you, but can someone trigger a different attachment response in you through their behavior? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to tell you, like, we usually have a hallmark as to what strategy you go to, but you can take in both your primary caregivers. Like my mom is more anxious and my dad's was a little bit more avoidant. So I have avoidant patterns as well. Um, you can take in more than one pattern. And again, these are patterns, but you usually have one strategy, which is usually to run towards or run away or expand or shut down your energy. And again, this goes back to the nervous system, but who you partner with, it's a combination of both your patterns, creating a new relational dynamic. So depending on who you partner and the way their patterns show up, your patterns are going to kind of, it's going to become like a new energy all together. So you could you could look differently with a different partner, but your patterns are your patterns. Um, and I know I'm not really answering the question there. They might come up. And if you're with someone who's more secure, they might be more workable. It might be easier to work through the relationship. Um, but they're going to come up. They're just going to, how they're received on the other end or how they interact with your partner's patterns is, is a play of two people's energy systems. So it really is a lot more complicated because people, are so complicated and this is so layered. And and even like I identify as anxious, I have avoidant protectors. Like we have protectors in which way we don't even know that we're doing this, but if we're really scared, we'll pull away and things like that. It's not my nature, but it will, it will happen if I get scared enough. So it's more, more than one pattern gets embedded and your partner's pattern definitely plays into your pattern. And we're talking about energy and defense mechanisms and nervous system responses to fear. 
That makes so much sense because with each different person, there is a different alchemy and it's like, yeah, you might be activated in a different way and something might come forward. And I love that terminology that you use then about having avoided protectors because it's like, yeah, we're not all just going to fit into one neat container and every single behavior or every single response we have is going to align with what we think we are. Different things will pop up. And on social media, when I asked for input in regards to this episode, that was one of the things that came up the most. It was like, can someone change my attachment style just through the way that they are? So I think that's a really helpful response to kind of sit on. So, yeah, and someone can make your your attachment style amplified. But the thing is, is someone can heal your attachment style by being more secure with you too. So you can, you can work towards healed healing that, but it's not about avoiding what comes up. It's about being with what comes up in the safety of your partner. And if you can't do it in the safety of your partner, because I think anxious people need several people to depend on, um, with a coach or a therapist that actually just holds the space for the uncomfortable sensations and helps you connect them a little bit back. It's it's essentially what an anxious person is also avoiding a lot of pain. So when it comes up, even in your relationship, and let's say your relationship, your partner can't hold the pain with you, somebody else could. And that means it doesn't mean the relationship is wrong for you. It means that somebody else can help heal that in that moment. I'm a couples counselor and I love it when couples can, I'm a MAGA counselor, when they can do the work together and get conscious together. But sometimes it takes a couple really secure nervous systems like being in the presence of really secure people, your system starts to relax and you start to learn trust through many people and building that dependency, interdependency through several people while you go through whatever is being ruptured inside of you or whatever conflict is going on inside of you so that you feel held by many people. That's how you actually build in inner security. You start to pull those healthy people inward and you start to learn how to regulate your system. Anxious people often the missing link in their developmental process is self-regulation. So it's like, oh, learn how to self-soothe, go do this, go do that. Well, the truth is we're not born with a parasympathetic nervous system. Our mom is a stand-in. And if she didn't soothe us, we didn't build the neural wiring for self-soothing. So other people's nervous systems have to help us calm down. And sometimes our partners can't because their nervous systems also activated at the same time. But when you're with people who can hold that space and help you co-regulate and calm down, you start to internalize that and you do build the neuroplasticity to learn how to self-regulate eventually. And that's how you know your, your, your capacity to be in your sensations gets easier and your ability to regulate your sensations get easier, but it's because you're co-regulating well with others and you're learning to be with yourself more with the right people and internalizing that process. Thank you for explaining that. That's really helpful. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When it comes to relationships, 
there obviously is a level of co-regulation or I don't know whether what terminology you use, Jessica, whether you say codependency. How much is like a healthy amount? Yeah, and so co-regulation is very different than codependency, but um, healthy amount. I think that if you missed healthy co-regulation as a baby, you're going to need a lot as an adult from the right people. And so it can be confusing because you might have a hard time calming your system down. And that's because you haven't built the neural wiring. But if you rely only on your romantic partner to calm you down, it can become very dependent. Then the power, you're handing all your power away all the time. You don't realize that they're the only person to calm you down. That's why you need to build other safe people to help you through those harder moments. Um, so it's not just all on one person, but eventually that healthy co-regulation turns into self-regulation and you're able to withstand more of those uncomfortable moments. Um, I have a hard time with the word codependency only because we are co-regulators and, um, you know, as someone who identified as a codependent and partly why I wrote this book, we want to form what we call interdependent relationships. And I think we think, oh, if I'm codependent, there's some shame attached to it. I must become independent. I must become independent. And I don't know in America, it's like very, you know, be independent. I grew up in that generation. Yeah, but the truth are. is, yeah, but the truth is we're actually supposed to be interdependent and an anxious person really does need people. And so it's, I can depend on these people and I know that they got my back. And the more I learn to depend on them, the more I don't need them in the same capacity. So it's, it, and I know it sounds crazy, but it just goes back to being a baby. The more you trust your primary caregivers, the more your inherent trust in the world and other relationships grows. If that distrust was not there, you have to relearn how to trust the right people. And then when you do that, you don't need them as much. You, 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 it's like an, a paradox in a weird way. You kind of become, it's, it's like me sitting here and saying like, if, if you are a really close person to me, and you don't pick up your phone, but I inherently trust you. And I know that at the end of the day of work, you're going to call me back because you do care about me, but you're human and, you know, stuff comes up. Then I'm learning to trust an interdependent relationship. I let you be fully you, you I can be fully me, and we can learn to trust each other even when we're not in sync because no relationship is in sync. What happens in our romantic relationships, their little cues set us off and we can go into a spiral in a very distrusting place really fast if we have these core wounds deep down. So Jessica, it sounds like therapy would be a really helpful tool for people to use when it comes to learning to work towards what you've called earned secure attachment. That would, that yeah. would love that, earned secure. It's nice because you're working towards it. So I imagine therapy is helpful. What are some other things people can do to help themselves along that journey? Yeah. So I think, you know, therapy, obviously I'm a therapist and I think therapy is great, but you can, you can ask a, a supportive, non-judgmental, warm, caring friend, if they'll be part of your secure network and if they will help you when in harder moments and their job is just to pick up the phone and be nurturing and kind and not problem solve at all and just kind of hold the space for you. So that's one way. I mean, and my book talks about working with the sensations in your body and starting to 
hold them and speak to them and see them as some kind of embedded trauma in you and tend to them a little bit differently as a way to start healing on your own. I just think it's good when things come up to bring it to a safe person because that's how things get integrated through um, other relationships help us heal. Um, Learning that when you're projecting, like when your partner is really causing you a lot of pain, understanding that that pain actually lives inside of you. And so we want to point the finger a lot and know that if the pain is coming up for you, it's actually your body's saying, stop here and heal. This is what this needs to be held. And if you keep going back to the same person over and over and over again, and it just keeps hurting, that's when you turn to someone new that's not trying to fix you, sleep with you, or anything like that and starts to be with this part of you till you can learn to be with this part of you and kind of reparent this part of you. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I think the knowledge, like the stuff I have in the book helps you understand that there's no shame in any of this. It's just, this is literally nervous system wiring. And I think when you really do understand your story through the lens of science, the level of self-compassion you have for yourself grows and the level of compassion that you have for other people and their behaviors actually starts to change too. Cause you start to see that they're stuck in a survival mode as well. So there's like a mutual growth that happens on each side. So yeah, I mean, building secure friendships. And I talk about the internalization process. We internalize our parents. People become part of us. If you can find safe people, you're going to internalize them too. That's what I call building an inner community. And when you can sense, oh, what would so-and-so say to me right now? Or how would it feel to be next to them? You're starting to, you're pulling in the outside world because we're all interconnected. So you can choose to pull in healthier resources for yourself. And eventually you build that, that neuroplasticity up for self-regulation, which is essentially what we're looking for with anxious attachment. Mm, well, there's that really well-known quote about how you do become the average of the people that you spend the most amount of time with. And it sounds like there's so much, um, so much healing to be done if you really can be aware of the people that you're surrounding yourself with and how they can change your physiological sensation. Yeah. And I think if you're with someone for a long time and you're struggling, sometimes it's an opportunity for you to look deeper at what they're actually really bringing up for you. Because sometimes it's not always about leaving the relationship. So often it's about being with what's coming up and not trying to control or change your partner's behavior, but start to be in those uncomfortable sensations yourself and explore the deeper roots there. So you can change your patterns and, and let your trauma surface so that you don't have to repeat that pattern or avoid those uncomfortable things in your next relationship, or you, de- you develop a bigger bandwidth for being with more of yourself. It's, it's really, we call it a lot of somatic work. It's being with those sensations and they're scary and they're big, but it, they're bearable when you have the right support. And when we talk about holding space for someone, say someone comes to us and says, you know what, I'm really trying to work towards earned secure attachment. And I'd love you to hold space for me. If someone doesn't know what that means, mm-hmm. I'm guessing one of the biggest things is that you just are not there to solve problems. You're just there to listen and to mm-hmm. reassure. Is that what holding yeah. space means? You know, it's it's really interesting when you were asking about co-regulation and when is too much. Sometimes you just want to get out of the sensation. So you'll do whatever you can. Yeah. And so you really need someone who isn't going to try to fix it or 
quote unquote, help you in a codependent way, but holds you and help, helps you, validates you. Just as I see that you're in a lot of pain, I'm here with you. They're not in the pain because they're not feeling it, but they're in the moment with you, supporting you through it, not fixing it. Because if we fix it with a drink or another person by fixing, literally fixing it, we're not, we're still avoiding it. We're yeah. never really moving through it. Yeah. So it's, it's about, you know, holding that space and, and noticing when I reach out for a cookie or a drink or whatever it is, that's okay. There's no judgment there, but notice that the sensations might be too big. So you had to numb out or you had to pull in a protector and it's really, it's not about judging. It's about building the awareness. Oh, this is what I've been avoiding. This was too hard for me. How can I get the right resources or the right support to be in more of this? And the safer your body feels, the more what we call the implicit memory and the sensation will surface. So it actually, when you're healing, it can feel a little harder at first, but your body is actually releasing what it, what it couldn't when it was small. Now it's telling you, this is how painful it was when I was small and someone abandoned me. Now you can feel it again and now you can observe it and you can tend to it and you can love on yourself and you can pull in people who will help you work through it rather than trying to escape it. Because we can spend our whole lives consciously or unconsciously trying to escape our pain. And so it's a it's really important to, if you want to do the work, to be in the presence of the right people and have the right friends and supportive people around. And when the work comes up, allow it to unfold. And um, yeah, I think the information, like I said, I don't want people to feel like they're going crazy because sometimes healing is hard. It's not always love and light. Or like they say, it's out there. Sometimes healing is about learning to be with yourself in a whole new way. But it's such a beautiful deepening when you kind of are in it and you're doing the work, you do feel it. You can feel your tolerance build and your window expand. So it's a beautiful process, but it's hard to explain it because it's such a a felt experience. Yeah, truly. And I've shared this before in other episodes where I've spoken about when I went through a divorce a few years ago, I didn't realize how much I was stuffing down by over-functioning. You know, I was just mm, doing so busy. I'm fine. I've got kids. I'm going to keep striving forward and nothing, you know, just keep moving forward. And then a couple of months after separating, I attended a, um, a like a breathing workshop. And I didn't realize, like I thought I was going along to this breathworks class and it would be all love and light, as you said. And it was like the most discombobulating experience of my life because for the first time in probably however long, however old I was at that time, that I was facing and sitting with and holding all of this pain that I'd been trying to stifle in so many other ways. And I remember the breathworks facilitator saying to me, just allow it to happen. And it, it's already within you. It exists within you. And it was just coming to the surface. And I was so distressed and so uncomfortable, but I sat with it and it passed. And that was mm-hmm. such an um, informative moment for me of like, oh, I've been running. I've been trying to hide from this stuff that's inside of me. And whilst, yes, it was uncomfortable to be in that experience, it's also so much more uncomfortable to be continually looking for ways to run away from it. Mm, I love that analogy. Yeah. I mean, I think that sometimes we have to keep going 
Mm-hmm. And because we're in survival mode, sometimes we're conscious of it, sometimes we're not. And for that reason, when you were doing breath work, you were getting your system to calm down. You literally were dropping in. And when you dropped in, all the sensations came up. And so a lot of protection out there, especially for anxious people, is to stay busy, is to caretake, is to do. And all of that is fine. But the truth is when you slow down, that's when the work shows up. And, um, yeah, that's the best analogy for like your system. It wasn't going to slow down until you made it safe enough to slow down. And then when you did, it got a little dysregulating, but then you knew you could move through it. Yeah. It's so true because we live in such a a day and age where it's so easy to distract ourselves. You know, we all have our phones in our hands. We can look at social media that can numb us out. And it was, it was creating that circumstance of going into a room with 10 other women where it was dark and it was like, you've got 90 minutes and you're going to breathe and you're going to face this. And Uh it was really informative for me personally. So, Uh I mean, I wonder, obviously therapy, sitting with yourself, holding space, building that secure network, as you said, those are all things that people can absolutely work upon. Yeah. And it's actually in the safety of another that more and more of your work will come up because your system knows it's like an unconscious knowing there's a cue that this is safe now. So in, in what you did, and I talk about this in the book is when you're activated or you're awakened or your sympathetic system is activated, the only system you have control over in that moment is your respiratory system. So the only thing that kind of shift you into a calmer place is actually extending your exhales. It's basically your body telling your brain that you are safe right now, but the safer you get, the more the feelings might surface. And it, it's hard, but that's actually where, where the catalyst for change happens. Yeah. There's a great quote that I have written down next to my computer actually. And it's along the lines of often we're so worried about a problem, but when the problem pops up, it's not the actual problem. It's the fear of wanting the problem that's painful. And it's like, you know what, if we just face what's in front of us, yes, it might be a little bit uncomfortable, but it might not be as bad as running away from it. Yeah, totally. And I, I, as an anxious person, I can say like, I don't like to feel abandoned and that shows up in my world a lot. And the more you can lean in and and understand that that's old, the less you have to have behaviors that try to prevent you from doing that. So the more freedom you have, the more depth you have when you face some of these bigger fears. But again, I think having the right support when you're facing them is really important because if you don't know and you're going through it, it can be a very scary process. Yeah, I think this conversation will be really helpful, not only for people who do classify themselves as having an anxious attachment, but for someone who is involved with someone who is a bit anxious to understand, oh no, I can actually help them move towards earned security by holding space and being consistent and being stable. That's helpful as well, because I imagine it's tempting for people sometimes to be like, oh, like it's not up to me. But if you are in a really loving, committed relationship or a friendship, What a gift to give that person to be like, yeah, I'll be a stable figure here for you. And you know, if someone can do that, that means they're emotionally available. And that's what you want to be around people who are emotionally available and aren't going to try to fix you, but can just be supportive for you as you move through this. And 
give you that space and time. It's, it's the biggest gift ever. And I don't believe that you have to have a therapist. I do. I'm a very spiritual person. I remember I was going through something really hard in my life and I had a friend and he just listened to me every night. He just listened to me. He didn't try to fix me. He didn't, you know, just listen to me. And I think, you know, if you are calling to heal this and you reach out, the right people will probably show up. And again, you want to look for warm, consistent, not fixers who are just going to be present with you. And I also say, and I think this is important when you're upset about something, don't pour gasoline on it, be with the sensations and work with your breath and get out of the story. Because if those sensations are there, the story is much deeper than the here and now. So the story could just be escalating it more. Yeah. I love that. That's so helpful. Just that analogy of pouring gasoline on it because if you go to people who are going to yeah yeah and up you and take you higher I guess into or deeper into those sensations it's it's further to walk back right Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. it is it is and you know those sensations are old and I think we want to blame everything on the here and now it's 20% on the here and now 80% is probably a deep deep part of you that's being awakened I don't even like to use triggered anymore I said what is being awakened inside of you to be held because I think trigger can feel so shaming in itself. It's so helpful to hear that. And I think one of the biggest things I've enjoyed hearing in this conversation, Jessica, is about the importance of relationships, because I think it's really tempting for people to go, oh, I've got this stuff I've got to work on. I'm going to retreat and fix myself and then I'll come back and life will be good. You know, I'll be healed. I will have faced all of my stuff and I'll be ready. But it's like, no, no, you actually do need those relationships to be able to move through this. Yeah. And it's the hard relationships that actually bring your work up. (laughs) Right. Like, so you can't really avoid it. I mean, there might be some behaviors or some people that are just not good for you, but the truth is you have to be, you heat, you are wounded in relationship and you heal in relationship. And so it's really important that if the work is coming up in your relationships, that you're being with what's coming up in a new way. Um, cause you can't avoid it. And that's a protector. I'm going to move to another country. I'm going to take my dog with me. I'm going to be just fine. That's a way to get distance from the pain, but the truth is it's not, and it's fine. There's no judgment there, but knowing that's what your brain is doing right now, just to kind of medicate how much pain you might be in that moment. Mm-hmm. Your book anxiously attached, where can our listeners grab themselves a copy? Well, I just got my UK cover, which is the Australia cover, and I know it's on Amazon, and there's several other places in the UK, but I don't know where they are right now, but it's on Amazon UK for sure, and Australia UK, that's right, Australia, it's the same territory, so um, yeah, Amazon, I would say, is the best place probably for you guys to find it. Perfect. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to want to grab themselves a copy. So I will put a direct link in our show notes. I'll also put a link to your Instagram because you have such helpful content over on your account. So it was really nice to have this opportunity to speak with you. Um, I'm glad we got there. got there through those audio technical difficulties, but it's been really nice to learn from you today. And I'm looking forward to continuing to learn more from you when I do have my copy of your book in my hands. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. And yeah, we connected halfway around the world. So we did a good job of that. So I appreciate you having me and just getting this message out there for all these people. It's just, it's so meaningful for me. So thank you. Absolutely. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free.
Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.